Advent alphabet. I'm thankful for the thoughts that uh, Ray Pritchard has given. It allows for us to uh, go down this route this season as well. I'm not sure if I wasn't clear this morning. I think I was clear. I think the kids were just, some of the kids were just being a little bit, uh, I don't know, inquisitive. What are you preaching on tonight? Well, what do you think? EFG. Well, if we only do three of them, then uh, it's going to push us later on. So let's, we better try to add that fourth one tonight. I think they were testing me. Can we get by with three tonight? I'm not saying that our kids are devious, but some of them just might be a little mischievous. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we are thankful for the name of Jesus. We cherish your name. It means so much for us. It's changed our lives. It's changed our little world. The grace that you have given to us means so much. We're thankful for Jesus. And now I pray that you would allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us, through us, give us that anointing that is needed, the preaching, special season, these words and thoughts tonight, may they resonate within our hearts. May they draw us into an attitude and a spirit to think about these things of this season and the coming of the Christ. Pray that you would bless each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What was A? What was B? What was C? What was D? Anybody want to guess at what E is? Emmanuel, that's a good one. Eternal, I like that one too. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the days of King Herod, magi, wise men from the east. There it is, east. Boy, you have to scratch in pretty deep to find a, a word like that. East, they came from the east to Jerusalem asking, seeking, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star. The east. There's really a, a kind of a mystery that surrounds the Magi. Who are they? Where do they come from? In this particular context, the Magi would be represented here in, in this word of the east. We're told that the Magi would refer to special class of priest in the Persian Empire. We know from other sources that the Magi had existed for hundreds of years before the time of Christ. 
We're told that they had their own religion, that they had their own priesthood, they had their own writings, and somewhere we find in the Old Testament, we find them pop up. The book of Daniel, we see the wise men pictured in the, in the book of Daniel. Daniel uh, seems to have been appointed as the head of this magi group in, in the days of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar the king, Daniel chapter 5. Remember how that stirred up some controversy, stirred up some jealousy. But who were they? We can understand that the Magi were considered to be the professors and the philosophers of their day. They, they were probably thought of uh, as, as brilliant and highly educated scholars, and they were trained in all sorts of things. <coughs> they were probably trained in medicine and history, religion, prophecy, astronomy. They were probably trained and likely trained in what we would call astrology. They were influential leaders, and they served as advisors to the king. The king looked to them for help and looked to them for counsel. They were, they were deep thinkers. They thought deeply about life. They thought deeply about consequences. They thought deeply about the, the, the deeper circumstances and the directions, and, and it was probably very legitimate to call them wise men. Now the Jews and the Persians intermingled for some 500 years and we can understand that uh, they seem to consider Daniel, who was Jewish, to be one of them. So since the time of Daniel, the Persians would have known of the Jewish expectation of the Messiah. It is possible that they even knew from what Daniel wrote in Daniel chapter 9 about the 70 weeks, the approximate time of his coming. The problem was they didn't know the exact time of his coming. And so when they saw the star, they knew. I've often asked the question, maybe you've often asked the question, what about that star made them know? We've heard answers, but there was something about their upbringing. There was something about their learning. There was something about who they were that when that star appeared, they knew that it was time. But then stop and think about all the barriers that they had to cross to get from where they were to find the Messiah. There was the culture barrier. There was the distance barrier. There was a language barrier, a racial barrier. There was a religious barrier. And then, we don't even really have to mention too much about it. When they got to Jerusalem, they had to face a hostile king. And indifferent religious leaders. They didn't come into a, an excitement of... of of exuberance or cherish that name Jesus. There was hostility that they were warned about. Now, when we think about this particular 
<coughs> when we think about this particular subject, this letter, them coming from the east, one thing that stands out in my mind, one thing that jumps off the page for me, and that is that it was not easy for them to find Jesus. But they did. And if they could find him, then so can we. And it's probably hard for us to find him. It's hard for people to find him. We find in the New Testament that Jesus tells us about the gate that is narrow, the straight gate, the straight way, the narrow way, and few there be that find it. But what the wise men reveal to us is that they had a zeal to find. They had a zeal to know, and they were not going to be easily deterred. And if you and I want to know him, if you and I want to find him, we can by using and having that same zeal and tenacity, even when the enemy does everything that he can to prevent by bringing up all sorts of barriers. The east. Let's move on to F. What can we use here? Probably you're thinking about uh, frankincense or maybe the father. But let's look in Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 4. When the fullness of time had come. The word fullness speaks of something complete and fully developed like a ripened apple. You probably don't want to pick the unripe apple. You want to wait until it is ripe, ripe, until it has the fullness of time in its development. You want to pick that red tomato in the spring and early summer, the one that has been completely vine ripened because it is so much better than what we've had all winter long of the hothouse tomatoes. The fullness of time in its ripening process, the fullness of time, very similar to what we would consider in our own experiences here as humanity, that a, a woman that is expectant of a child and those pains of child labor, uh, labor pains begin to come and ready for that delivery in the fullness of time. The fullness of time would describe the moment in history when the stage was perfectly set. And it was at that very moment, not any earlier, not any later, that God sent forth his son. The fullness of time. Now think of how unlikely it would all seem. Everything that had to fall into place to have it happen the way that it happened. And it had to happen a certain way because prophecy, the Old Testament prophets had, had given words to indicate how it was going to happen or where it was going to happen. But how could that possibly get, how could that possibly get there? Well, there's a decree from Caesar Augustus. There's an angel that appears to Mary. There's a virgin that becomes pregnant. An angel comes to Joseph in a dream. A baby is called Emmanuel. A mysterious star in the east. Wise men showing up in Jerusalem. Angels appearing to shepherds. There's a trip to Bethlehem. There's no room in the inn. A stable that was available. 
A babe wrapped in rags, placed in a feeding trough. A star that led the wise men right to the house. There was gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. A dying king who tried to kill the baby. A desperate journey to Egypt, and then a return journey to Nazareth. Nazareth. One thing stands out in the midst of that summary of all that was going on, that none of it happened by chance. Get a hold of that one. None of it happened by chance. A pagan emperor issued a decree in just the right moment in history. Right in the middle of Pax Romana, Roman peace. It was in full force. The world was yearning for, restlessly yearning for deliverance. There was peace, but it was, it was peace at a cost. The angels showed up to a young man and a young woman who believed what they had said. And this virgin became pregnant. Joseph decided not to divorce her. baby was born outside of an inn in the little town of Bethlehem. The most incredible event in history took place. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. The central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became man. Every other miracle prepares the way for this or results from this. Every other miracle prepares the way for this or results from this. Now we believe that God became man. The fullness of time. Everything was in its place. Everything was in its, in its time for in order for this event to happen. And all the miracles pointing to and all the miracles pointing away from, everything is centralized around the coming of Christ. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. If we could paraphrase that just a little bit, we could say when everything was just right, now, if you ask the Jewish people in that day if everything was right, they would say, no, it's not right. Everything's wrong. Everything's bad. Everything's in a problematic stage, and we're, we're restless. We're, we're, we want to be broken away from this Roman rule. But everything was just right. God sent his son to be our Savior. How does that speak to us? The fullness of time. How does it speak to us today? It speaks to us in the sense that God is arranging all of the details, perhaps even centuries in advance in the midst of your life. And again, I refer back to the New Testament story of a little guy that had to climb up into a tree. God planted that tree some years, years before Zacchaeus needed it. 
in order for it to be there when Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. You say, well, that's so small. That's so insignificant. It might be small. It might be insignificant. But God orchestrated. God planned. God was working and arranging all of the details centuries in advance. And when the fullness of time was come. So we have the east. We have fullness. We come to the letter G, the seventh one in the alphabet. G, what is it? What could it possibly be? And, and you could go down through a long list, perhaps, of the words that would come to your mind. But let's look in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. How many times have we heard those words? How many times have we seen them printed on, on Christmas cards? Glory to God in the highest. How many times have we repeated them ourselves? Now, this, this verse, this, this passage gives us three promises that are directly connected, directly connected to the coming of the Christ child. Let's not call them fringe benefits. Let's call them direct connection. Not sidelines, but direct connection to the coming of the Christ child. You say, well, what is it? What's listed right there in that passage, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Unfortunately, it's hard to find peace on earth. It's, it's hard to find goodwill toward men. You hear people say, oh, I've, uh, I've lost faith in humanity, or, or I've gained a, a renewed sense of, of faith in humanity. And it's all based on whether or not a person has had goodwill in some kind of a circumstance. The news is rampant, and usually it, uh, it supersedes, the bad news supersedes the good news. It's more prominent in certain ways, certain circumstances, the bad news is more prominent than the good news. And so we hear it emphasized over and over again, the lack of goodwill. Why is there no peace on earth? It's been said before, I'm sure it'll be said many times uh, as Jesus tarries, but if you want to know what's wrong with the world, look in the mirror. problem can be traced to me or you. So I'm not a problem. Well, the reason why there's no peace on earth is because we are not a peace-loving people. Humanity, by nature, is filled with anger, hate, lust, and greed. It repeats itself over and over again. You can find it in history books over and over again. It's constant within the human race. That is the nature of humanity. But on the other hand, we were not made for that. We were made for glory. When God created Adam and Eve and his intent was for it to carry on down through even our day into this year that we were made for glory. We were not made for hate. We were not made for lust or greed or, or all those other things. 
But first of all, mankind disobeyed God. And with that disobedience, there was a death on the inside. And then there was the death that began on the outside. And we turned over to our own devices. All we like sheep have gone astray. God, we don't need you anymore. Leave us alone. And then we stand back and wonder why the world is in the shape that it is. Well, we need to look in the mirror. We have met the enemy, and he is us. Is there such a thing as peace on earth? Well, yeah, there is. Because Jesus, Jesus brings us peace. The peace that Jesus brings is not one around a conference table or at the point of a bayonet. The peace that Jesus brings goes from heart to heart to heart. You see, the angel's message is true. Glory to God in the highest. There is such a thing as peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And the bottom line is that it comes when Jesus Christ comes into a person's life because he brings Glory, peace, and goodwill. When Jesus enters into your life, he will remove the hatred, the bitterness. He will redeem the past hurts, the brokenness. I read recently that God only can redeem the, the brokenness that is surrendered to him. You see, what what it's saying is that we take our hands off and we give him full reign, that he, his glory and his peace and goodwill abides within. Let's make it our prayer this Christmas season, this Christmas time, that, that we might experience for ourselves, that we might experience the peace that Jesus brings so that we then can share that peace to somebody else. And while the glory of God would shine from that manger in Bethlehem, allow his glory, glory to God, allow his glory to shine in the middle of our lives and in the midst of our existence here in closing days of 2023. Glory of God shine through us and fill this dark world with his glory. You see, once again, we're reminded that it's all about him. He is who we live for. Let's quickly take a look at the the eighth one. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. That anchor for the soul, this hope that we have as an anchor for the soul is told to us and and we realize that it is a sure anchor. It is a strong anchor. It's the hope. You say, well, what does this verse have to do with Christmas? At first glance, it may not have anything to do with Christmas. But the context, the the particulars about this particular verse has everything to do with the promise that God made to Abraham. 
You know, we're talking about centuries of God working and fulfilling and preparing. And so we can go all the way back to Abraham, the promise that God made to Abraham thousands of years ago. You say, well, what was that promise? Well, God promised him a land of his own. He promised him a nation of descendants. He promised that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. This promise came out of the nation of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate seed of David. Now, let's look at the first verse of the New Testament. This is one of the most boring verses that you find because we call it the genealogies. You know, we find genealogy to be boring. We, we struggle with it. But let's look at it with a different perspective tonight. <coughs> the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. All of these begets. We want to ignore them, but that's a mistake. Let's, let's, let's look at this list a little bit. As we look at the list a little bit, we'll soon discover that um, this gallery of names is less than desirable. Did you ever notice that? I'm sure you have. Abraham, who lied about his wife twice. Isaac, who lied about Rebekah. Jacob was a, was a congenital cheater. Then there's Judah who slept with his daughter-in-law thinking she was a shrine prostitute. David committed adultery and murder. Solomon, well, what could we nail on him tonight? One of the most glaring is that he had far too many wives. We'll just say it that way. Then there was a guy by the name of Manasseh. He was a, a man whose name is synonymous with evil. He was so wicked that he sacrificed the children of Judah to the pagan deities. Is this really in the genealogy? This list also mentions four women. Tamar slept with Judah. Rahab the harlot. Ruth who was a Moabitess. Bathsheba who committed adultery with David. Three of these four Gentiles, three of them are involved with a, some form of sexual immorality. Two of them are involved with prostitution. One of them is an adulteress. All four of them are in the line that leads us to Jesus Christ. But in the end, the only name that really matters is the name of Jesus. Cherish that name. In the end... When it's all said and done, after we get done looking at all of these names with all of the darkness and the sinfulness of their past, of their lives, we find the story of Jesus, the man, Jesus Christ. That's what matters the most. Everything that happened before, everything that happened before was meant to lead to him. Again, we can see that God orchestrated centuries of history to bring his son into the world at just the right moment. You say, well, we're not talking about the fullness of time. We're talking about hope now. Well, I know, but 
So is there hope in this world? Yes, hope shines out of that manger scene. Hope shines from that that situation that may have appeared to be dark and dismal and poverty-stricken. But if we want to have that hope invade our lives, we have to come to Bethlehem and bow before that newborn king. But the great hope that is seen in this picture of Jesus Christ being born and the genealogy that precedes him is that if we have messed up, if I have been broken, if I have fallen from the grace or have fallen short of the glory of God, that there's hope. You and I can still be a part of God's forever family. That ought to provide us hope for the people that we're praying for. Not just hope for ourselves, but praying praying for those around us that that provides hope for them as well. Because in the midst of the darkest of pits, we find the names of those that were led to or through that we come to Jesus Christ. Find him. promises the promises that were given to Abraham and through all of those undeserving people all of those undeserving people they were then listed in the genealogy of Christ providing hope for all of us who are undeserving in 2023 what a hope What a hope that we have, an everlasting hope that even death cannot destroy. Thank God for the hope of Christmas. Let's stand together tonight. Intended to mention a few names this evening, and I failed to. It's good to see Justin and Merrill slip in on us back there. They don't always get to be here. We're glad for them being here, for Caitlin being up here as well. And had to come see Sis and that wonderful brother-in-law of hers. Glad for them being here. Amen. Praise God. Trust you have a good week this week. Join God's blessings and join the hope that we have in Christ. Praise God. Praise his name. Destiny, would you dismiss with prayer this evening?